Wow. It was 40 years ago this weekend that Don and Sue and a group of founding members stepped out in faith. And here we are today. We have so much to be grateful for standing on the shoulders of that faithfulness. And I'll tell you, I, I am personally grateful because my wife, Jamie, was at that very first service in a movie theater with cockroaches on the ground. Can you imagine that? And her life was transformed. I mean, she found Jesus in this church, and volunteers began to pour into her, and she began to grow in her faith, and everything was good, and then she met me. <laughs> it went all downhill, you know, from there. What, what changed my wife's life? Two things pointed her to Jesus. One, an amazing church, and two, consistent parents. And I just want to say to everyone here today, and especially those of you that are parents, if you want to see your life transformed, if you want to see your kids on fire for Jesus, your consistency matters more than you can ever imagine. Your consistency being here week in and week out, no excuses, that matters. But what's the message that CCV has been preaching for 40 years that has been changing people's lives. What's the message? What's, what is, what's it all about? Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's not about Don, it's not about me, and frankly, it's not about you. Who changes people is Jesus. That there's a God who loved you so much, he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to rise from the grave three days later, so that you could have grace today and hope for your future. It's all about Jesus. And today, I want us as a church to double down on our commitment to reaching our entire city with the message of Jesus. Agreed? It's what we have to do as a church, right? Here's, here's the risk as I see it. History shows us as a church ages, it has a tendency to turn inward. It has a tendency to become a country club for saints versus a refuge for sinners. And that can never happen at CCV. I was, I was at an event this past week and I met a pastor and he, he tells this story of early in his ministry, he, he was working at his very first church and the church didn't have enough money to pay him so he had to go get a second job. And the second job he got, he's actually worked at a local gym. And the gym just happened to be right across the street from one of the most notorious strip clubs in, in that city. He said the, the gym owner was this really smart guy, so one day he walked across the street and he offered every woman working at the strip club a free membership to his gym, okay? And wouldn't you know it, as the women started coming over to the gym, what happened? Memberships from men blew up, all right? It blew up. He said, he, he, working there, he just got to know these women that worked at the strip club. He, he realized their names weren't really Sunshine and Barbie, all right? They were real women that had almost exactly the same sad story. He found out that almost every single one of those women did not, did not want to be working at that strip club. In fact, they only started as a really short-term thing, they thought, because they, almost all of them had hit a financial crisis, and almost always because they were abandoned by a man. These women almost all had kids, and they were just crazy ashamed for their kids to ever find out what mommy did. And this is one that broke my heart. He, he found out that almost every single one of those women had to drink alcohol or take a drug to even get on stage to perform. One day he got the crazy courage to like invite one of them to church. Her name was Sunshine, that was her stage name. And, 
And she agreed, and so he picked up her and her daughter from her house, and they, they, they drove to church, and he was so excited, they got his daughter dropped off in the kids' ministry, and they walked into church, and that's when it happened. The way she was dressed, so you could kind of tell that she wasn't, you know, <laughs> she's probably part of a different profession. And when they walked into church, that's when all the pointing started, that's when all the whispers started, that's when all the looks came their way. He felt it, he's like, she has to feel it. After church was over, uh, one of the leaders from the church walked up to him and asked to have a private meeting in, in a back office. And he went, and when he, he went to the back office, he released her, the, the girl went back to the car with her daughter. In the back office, the pastor and other leaders from the church joined in, and they, they told this man, they said, let me tell you something, this church exists so that the clean people here and their kids don't have to be around women like that. And then they made it clear to him that if he ever brought her back again, he'd be let go from his job. He walked back to his car and his, his mind's just reeling and he gets in his car and the woman's there and she's crying. He, he tries to lie to her. He says, I tried to lie to her and tell her the meeting I was just in had nothing to do with her. He said, she wasn't stupid. When I asked her what she thought of church, she said this, I have never been so degraded in my life. He said she said that as her daughter was coloring a picture of Jesus that she got from her classroom. And then he said this. How heartbreaking is it that a woman like that feels most degraded in a church? How is it that she feels more love and acceptance dancing in front of drunken men than she does in a place that bears the name of Jesus? Does that break anybody else's heart? I mean, that just breaks my heart. And I want to tell someone here today, if you've ever walked into a church and you felt anything like that, I want to say sorry, and I pray you never experience that at our church. But today, I want us to look at a passage of scripture where there's a woman that felt almost exactly like that woman I just told you in the story. And I want, to, I want you to see so clearly her interaction with Jesus and I pray today is a defining moment for our church where we never forget our mission. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. We'll be in Luke chapter seven today, starting in verse 36. It, uh, it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, that's code word for she was almost certainly a prostitute in the town, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, his name is Simon, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he said it to himself, oh, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. In other words, he would boot her out of his presence. Now, I want us to just have a little context on this story because I want you to understand the significance and the extravagance of what this woman did at the feet of Jesus. And remember, she's lived a crazy sinful life. And what we're told is, is, is she actually like lays down at the feet of Jesus and she pours out her tears. 
She lets her hair down and wipes his feet. She kisses his feet, which is a sign of, of repentance and confession. And she pours the most expensive things she could. But let's back up for a second. I mean, the Pharisees we know hated Jesus. I mean, they didn't like Jesus at all. They were so self-righteous. And how they even have lunch together? Well, what happens is, is likely Jesus had just got done teaching at the synagogue. He was traveling around as a rabbi and teaching in synagogues. And the Pharisee who oversaw that synagogue, um, when, when a traveling rabbi teaches, it is custom and expected that you have to have lunch with them. So that's how they're having lunch together. The Pharisee probably didn't even want to invite Jesus, but he's there. But it begs the question, how's a prostitute show up at that lunch? I mean, how's that happen? Well, this is where we have to understand that in that culture, larger meals, the way they almost always happen is they happen outside. They happen outside around a U-shaped table um, because there wasn't enough room inside. So they were always in a courtyard or a patio and people would recline around the table and they'd, they'd recline where their feet were away from the table because they thought feet was, were nasty. Feet are still nasty today, right? And... So they'd recline, and what happened in the city is because it was outside, the townspeople in the city were allowed to show up at the dinner and mingle around the table, and they could listen in if they wanted to. That's how they did it. So just picture this woman who's so steeped in her shame, she decides to come and risk it all to fall at the feet of Jesus. And what she does is so significant. See, in, in, in first century Roman culture, what women did is almost all of them had something called a tear bottle. It, it's foreign to us, but in, in their day and age, they had a, a bottle that looked something like this, and what a woman would do is she would collect her tears her whole entire life. This is one of her most prized possessions. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, I've, I've seen this myself, you can go there. Inside almost all the ancient tombs, these were so valuable, people would be buried. So they, they find these tear bottles buried in the ancient um, tombs of Israel today. In fact, in Psalm chapter 56, verse 8, David writes, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected my tears in your bottle. And many people think that's where this tradition came from of a woman collecting all of her tears. Another tradition we, we hear about later is that a, a woman would sometimes take this most valuable possession of hers and she would present it to her husband on their wedding day. All the tears I, I shed, I give to you. What's amazing is my wife, Jamie, her parents actually did this for her. They, they got her a tear bottle when she was really little, and Jamie collected all of her tears all through her childhood, all through her teenage years, and I didn't know this, but on our wedding day, she actually gave me her tear bottle. And on that day, I remember looking in her eyes, I'll never forget what I said to her, I said, girl, <laughs> you're never gonna shed a tear another day of your life with me. <laughs> I'm just, I made up the story about Jamie and the tear bottle, okay? She didn't have a tear bottle at all, all right? <laughs> That'd have been pretty romantic, right? Some of you women are like, oh, that's so sweet. No, it wasn't, it, she didn't have that. The tear bottle in Jewish culture is true. She didn't have one, and I promise you, I've made that girl cry more than you would want to know, all right? <laughs> but can we just stop and just pause and, and realize this woman with her past, do you understand how many tears she's cried her whole entire life? And I don't know if she's pouring her tear bottle out at Jesus' feet, but how many tears would it take to wash someone's feet? You think this woman wants to be a prostitute? What's likely happened is she's been abandoned by a man and her family, and in Jewish culture, women were, were second rate in many ways, and they had very little opportunity to earn income. She's probably been forced into this, so think about this. Every single day, every day she sheds tears because she has to be abused by men. 
And she falls at the feet of Jesus, just pouring her tears out. And then she has the audacity to let her hair down and wipe her feet. And you have to understand, in Jewish culture, the Jewish law, the Talmud, says that a woman letting her hair down in public is the equivalent of her showing her breasts. It is grounds for divorce. This woman isn't doing anything intimate. She just have, it's the only thing she has. She loves Jesus so much, she just, she just lets it down in an act of worship and starts wiping his feet. And she kisses his feet, again, which is a sign of confession. And then she pours out on his feet perfume, which was the most expensive and valuable thing that she owned. And as she does this act of worship, what is the response of the religious leader, Simon, in this example? He says, oh, you would kick her out if you knew. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says this next. says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says, well, teach me. Teach me, teacher. Well, let me tell you a parable. Jesus was always telling parables, so Jesus launches into a parable. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, Simon. Okay. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, denarii is just a day's wage, so think about this. One person owes almost two years' salary in debt, the other just a couple months. He goes on, he says, and this, hey, if you, miss, if you miss nothing else, you cannot miss this. This is the whole point of the parable. Watch what Jesus says. 550, neither of them, neither of them had the money to pay him back. In other words, both people are completely insolvent and in need of forgiveness. So what happens? Jesus says this money lender, so he forgave the debts of both of them because they both of them couldn't pay it back. And then he goes on and asks Simon this question. He says, now which one of them would love him more? Simon's like, ooh, I don't want to get this one wrong. Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, bingo, Simon, you've judged correctly. Then Jesus turns to the woman. Now picture this. He's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which have been told customary. She's been wiping them with, with, with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. He goes on, he says, Simon, you, you didn't even give me a kiss, which would have been customary as well. This woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet since she's, she entered. You did not pour oil on my head, another, another obligatory, you should have done that to someone coming to your house. She's poured perfume on my feet. Why didn't Simon do the very basics for Jesus? Because he was self-righteous. He didn't think he needed him. Jesus goes on, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, Simon, as her great love has shown. And then he says something so crazy convicting. Let this sink in. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> he goes on and says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who, <laughs> who can forgive sins? Who is this guy? He looks at the woman and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is completeness and wholeness. What can we learn from this powerful parable today? Because I think it's amazing that on our 40th anniversary, this is the passage of scripture God gives us for today. First of all, I don't want you to miss what saved this woman. Was it her extravagant gift? Was it she, 
she fell at the feet of Jesus. What saved her? Don't miss what Jesus said. What, what did Jesus say? Say it out loud. Your, say it out loud, faith. It is only your faith, placing, understanding the grace of Jesus, the free offer of forgiveness, and believing that and going all in and being baptized, that's what saves you. Not anything you can do for Jesus. That's what saved this woman. In fact, what, what has likely happened is that this woman has already heard Jesus teach in another setting, and Jesus taught about the grace and forgiveness he offers, and that it's free, that you don't have to earn it, and so her act of worship is just an act of worship realizing she's forgiven. She already knows she's forgiven. The problem is Simon doesn't believe it. He doesn't think a woman like that can be forgiven. And the problem is Simon thinks you have to earn it, and some of us have forgotten that we can't earn it either. See, when Jesus tells the story about a moneylender that someone, someone owes 50, someone owes 500, who's Jesus comparing? He's comparing Simon and the prostitute. He says, Simon, you may only have a sin debt of around 50, this woman has 500, but don't miss this, Simon, neither of you can pay. Both of you are insolvent, and you need the grace that only I can offer. See, don't miss the point of the story. Sometimes you can read the story and you can think, well, the point of the story is that Simon just has to understand that Jesus loves sinners and, and welcomes them, them in. That is not the only point of this story. The point of the story that Jesus is trying to get across to Simon is, Simon, you're a sinner. Just like this woman. The problem is, Simon, you've forgotten that you need grace too. You've forgotten that you are completely insolvent in my presence. You know, for those of us that have been Christians for a while, if you've been around CCV for a long time, I think this is our risk as well. The further you get away from the grace of Jesus, the further you forget your need for it. And you can start looking around CCV and going, why are they here? You know why they're here? Because they need grace just like you, just like me. All of us need the grace of Jesus. And if you understood the depths of your sin, you would fall at the feet of Jesus immediately and just worship. And you know why some of us, by the way, you know why some of us are a little lukewarm in our faith? You know why some of us don't feel on fire anymore? It's because we've forgotten how much we need grace. This happens to me. I mean, I'll be honest, as a pastor, I can think, well, look at me, look at all the good stuff I'm doing. I'm not focused on you know, how I speak to my wife, how I lost my temper on my kids, the thoughts that come in my mind sometimes that are just, ugh, my own selfishness. You know, our tendency as Christians is to look at other people and their sin that's bigger than ours and to feel better about ourselves, isn't it? And this happens in all areas of life. I mean, I'll be honest, I look at some of your golf swings, I feel awesome about myself. <laughs> I feel good. You know who I don't compare my golf swing to? Like Tiger, Justin Thomas, professionals. In the presence of a holy God, God is holy without sin, all of us should fall at Jesus' feet and realize our deep need for grace. For grace, we need it, all of us. You know, when I was growing up, we sing this hymn over and over again. We sing it here sometimes as well, Amazing Grace. Remember this? 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Here's, here's the problem. You'll never be amazed by grace until you're shaken by your own sin. Let that sink in today. You'll never be amazed by grace until you're shaken by your own sin. Now, what is grace? Let me remind you what grace is. Grace is simply the unmerited offer of forgiveness from Jesus. In other words, you can't earn it. You can never do anything to deserve it. You can just receive it as a free gift. And man, how amazing is that? But it'll never be amazing unless you come to grips with your own sin and stop looking at the sin of others, especially in a church context. Man, I I relate with the Apostle Paul, by the way. When I look at my own life, I relate with the Apostle Paul. All of us should, I think. The Apostle Paul says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? I mean, I sin all the time still. And Paul says this, oh, thank God, the answer is Jesus. In other words, if you were gonna summarize this entire parable, it would be for all of us to say, let's look at our own sin. Let's realize we are in need of sin as much as anybody. There's someone here today, by the way, you know what? You're looking at pornography and you discount it because you're saying, well, at least I don't cheat on my wife. No, let, let your own sin sink in, your need for grace. There's someone here today, you gossip all the time about other people, but you tell yourself, well, at least I'm not lying. Let your own sin sink in. Why? Because here's the point Jesus tells us about this parable. When you forget how desperately you need grace, you'll love Jesus little and other sinners even less. And that is the most dangerous place to be as a follower of Jesus. And I think when you truly understand grace, it, it does these three things every single time. I'm gonna walk you through three things we learn from this parable. When you truly understand grace, number one, you will go all in with Jesus, committing your life fully to Jesus. And on our 40th anniversary today, I would be remiss if I didn't look someone in the eyes today and just say, you've been running from God. Or you've been tippy-toe, you know, tippy-toeing around, oh, just checking out Jesus. You've not gone all in. You've never given your life fully to Jesus and been baptized, which is an outward example of an inward commitment. And if you've never been baptized here, you've never declared that Jesus is the Lord of your life, I just wanna tell you today, what are you waiting on? It's a free gift, you don't have to earn it, you don't get your life in order first, you just accept it freely, and we all need it. And if that's you, I'm calling you out today that today's your day. It's time to go all in. If that's you, you can talk to one of our pastors today. You can text the word baptism to 72020, and we'll, we'll help you take your next step just to give your life to Jesus and be baptized. And by the way, Easter's coming up in two weeks. There is no better time to get baptized than Easter. I mean, it's the Super Bowl of our faith. It's when we remember everything Jesus did for us. And I think that's the perfect weekend to get baptized. So you text baptism, you get signed up, and I can't wait to see Jesus transform your life. What's the second thing that always happens when you truly understand grace? Here's the second thing. You begin welcoming those far from Jesus to experience him too. I mean, you get crazy welcome arms to people that are, that are sinners around you, just like you. Are we the kind of church that has open arms to people dealing with real sin? I pray we are. I pray we continue. It's what Jesus modeled. It's what I wanna model. I mean, it's why those of you that walk through our doors 
with Seattle Seahawks jerseys on. I welcome you in your sin. In every, I mean, I do it. You know, I'm trying. You know what the world tells us? The world tells us you only have two options with someone dealing with, with, with deep sin. Affirmation or alienation. You either have to affirm it and say, oh, the Bible doesn't really say that, or you have to alienate them and have nothing to do with them. And what Jesus shows us is those options are terrible. There's a third option where you welcome them to come and experience Jesus and be transformed. That's the model. Jesus welcomes this woman while all the religious people are like, get out of here. And Easter coming up in two weeks, by the way, we're gonna preach the gospel message about Jesus and there is no way you should show up to Jesus on Easter alone. There's no way. It is your easiest invite of the year. I pray you don't come alone. What's the third thing that always happens when you truly experience the grace? You understand grace. The third thing is there's always extravagant generosity. And so what we see from the story of this woman, she pours what we see in other passages, uh, this perfume that was worth over a year's salary. And it's hard for us to understand because we think, well, she poured perfume, that's pretty cool. I mean, maybe it was Ariana Grande from like Target or like Gucci, you know, it's like maybe it was like 60 or 100 bucks. No, let, let me put this in context for you so you can just feel what she did. I looked up this week the most expensive perfume in the world today, and here, here's what it is. It's, it's this perfume, it's called Shimuku. It's developed in Dubai. Um, it costs over a million dollars to purchase one bottle of this perfume. Over a million dollars. I was thinking like a squirt of that would be like 10 grand, you know? <laughs> if someone took this bottle of Shimuku today in your presence over a million dollars, opened it up, and poured it at the feet of someone, what would you do? <laughs> what have you done? That's what this woman did. Why did she do it? Because when you truly grasp grace, the only appropriate response is for your life to be a life of generosity. When you realize how much God's given you, you can't help but want to give of your time and your talents and your, your resources. And I'm so appreciative for a church that's been so generous over the years. And I think if there's one thing, one thing we have to celebrate as a church on our 40th anniversary, it's the number of lives that have been transformed by Jesus because of your generosity. You know, it started in 1982 with one person that was baptized. The very first person in 1982 that gave their life to Jesus. And then there was another and another and another and another. That very first year, we baptized 70 people. The next year, we baptized 49, then 43, then 70. And, and the stories began to just explode, you know, from gang members giving their lives to Jesus to businessmen that said, I want to live for something more than money, to single moms, to those that were going to commit suicide, to you know, those that actually had no hope in life from the down and out to the up and out, and the numbers just kept going and going and going, and Jesus is transforming people. And now, on our 40th anniversary, for the very first time as a church, I get to announce that we have surpassed, this year, 40,000 total baptisms in the life of CCB. Is that not something to celebrate? Like that... Every one of those, hey, every one of those has a story. It's a story of a changed life. 40 years of faithfully preaching Jesus. 
As I got to thinking about those 40 years, I thought, and I'm telling you, God just, just impressed this on my heart and mind. I couldn't get it on my mind. He kept saying to me, Ashley, do you understand to have another 40 years? You must invest in the next generation. If we don't invest in our kids and students as a church, do you understand there is no future for the church 40 years from now? There is no church. As I started thinking about that, I think, God, what, what, what should we do? And what I realized is that we're, we're at a defining moment with our kids and students and culture. Do you feel it? Our kids and students are being bombarded bombarded with a world that tells them Jesus doesn't matter and there's everything you should chase but Jesus. They're so distracted and these last two years, it's been hard on a lot of us. It has been harder on our kids and students than any other demographic in my opinion. And so we stand at a precipice. We stand at a moment in history where what we do will define the next 40 years. And what we are going to do as a church is we are going to double down on our investment in being generous to the next generation. And what we know as a church is there's no other environment where we see more people give their lives to Jesus than our summer camp environments. I mean, that is the biggest environment where people give their lives to Jesus. And by the way, 85% of people that give their lives to Jesus do so before the age of 18. We have to invest there. And if we don't invest there, and we don't really, really get kids to summer camp after a, a years and a culture that's going crazy, you have no idea what's at stake. In fact, I wanna show you a story of Haley that just puts in perspective what's really at stake. Watch this. I became a Christian at the age of 16 and it all started with an invitation to camp several years ago. I came up with every reason of why I couldn't go, but God had other plans. I couldn't afford it, I thought my dad was too strict and he wouldn't let me go, but I ended up getting a scholarship and I was able to go to camp. I don't know if whoever donated that $150 knew just how meaningful it would be for me, but the week before camp, I was contemplating ending my life. I didn't have a plan as to how I would go about doing that, and I didn't make any permanent decisions yet, but I was in a very hopeless state of mind. I went to camp solely to escape the reality that I was in every day. At camp, it was the first time that I ever experienced the genuine love of Christ. I was welcomed by everyone, and I felt at home. I remember a night at camp when we were singing worship songs. We had the opportunity to go and pray with our coaches, and I went to my coach and told her that I didn't want to live feeling hopeless anymore, and she said, Haley, you don't have to. She then shared the gospel with me, and I ended up accepting Christ, and then I made the decision to get baptized the next day. If you told me 10 years ago that I would be where I'm at today, I wouldn't have believed you. I'm now a pastor and I help others take their next steps towards Jesus. The power of the gospel, the power of generosity, and the power of an invitation to camp changed my life and I'm forever grateful. 
when I, when I listen to that story, here's what goes in my mind. What hung in the balance in Haley's life with going to camp? Everything. And I believe we have thousands of kids and students that we have no idea what hangs in the balance of them making a decision to go to camp. What you know and what you feel right now is the price of everything is skyrocketing, right? You feel it. So we're stepping out in faith and doing something crazy. We're gonna do the exact opposite with our camps. We're slashing the cost of camps across the board so that no kid or student has an excuse to not go to camp. We're subsidizing the cost of about $100 for every single student, or for our high school students, we're gonna do something even crazier because it's our last chance to impact our high school students before they go off in this crazy world. I showed you this uh, a few weeks ago, but this is our, our very first bulletin as a church, 1982. We printed this when the church started, Christ Church of the Valley. It tells about the church, and inside it has information about our high school camp that's coming up. And when I saw this um, last year, it, it said that our high school camps, that very first year, 40 years ago, the, the cost of high school camp was $50. I thought, what if we priced our camp this year, 40 years later, at $50? Everyone's like, that's crazy. I know it is, and that's exactly what we need to do. Because we have a church that is generous, and we have a church to understand something. There's only one place you can invest your money that you'll see it in heaven. And that's in the other people that you've impacted for Jesus. And I can't think of a better investment than investing in the next generation and getting them to a place this summer at camp where they can hear Jesus and give their life to Jesus. Because we can see a revival. We're attempting to send 10,000 kids and students this year, a number that we have never come close to. But we're gonna do it because we're gonna get kids and students there, and parents, you better sign your kids up because it's gonna sell out. But the cost of us subsidizing camps for everyone is about $3 million as a church, and that's a big number. But I love stepping out in faith. I love risking big. We have to. We have no choice. This is too big, and so I'm just gonna ask your help. As a part of our 40th anniversary, I just wanna ask you to pray about giving something to our 40th anniversary camp fund and, and, and you just give whatever God tells you to give. If God tells you to give nothing, give nothing. If God tells you to give a number, just give it. Just be obedient and trust him. Some of you can give $100. There's someone here today that can give a million dollars. I don't really care what you give. I want you to be obedient to what God tells you. And together, we're gonna see God transform our students this summer. Agreed? Agreed? Hey, um, let's clap for that. We can clap for that. For all of us today, this parable Jesus tells, what, what is the point of it? The point of it is that every single one of us needs to understand our deep need for grace. We need it, our city needs it, and so as a church, we can never turn inward to become a country club for saints. We have to be a refuge for sinners. Now we will never stop preaching the truth of God's word here at CCV but we're gonna do it in an environment where everyone is welcome to come hear about Jesus and the life change he can bring. And if we would do that, if we do that, we'll continue to win, train, send, and we'll continue to reach our city for Jesus. You in? All right, let's, 
Let's pray. Let's pray and thank God for 40 years and let's ask him to bless the next 40. Father, we thank you with grateful hearts for the grace of Jesus that all of us need. We declare today, Father, that every one of us, we are sinners in deep need of Jesus. And I pray we would never look at a world around us with judging eyes. We would look, we would look at them the way Jesus looked at them. And we look at them and just welcome them into a place where their lives can be transformed. Father, our world needs it. I pray for our, our summer camps. Father, I pray that as a church, we'd step out with generosity so we can see the next generation changed. And as a church, Father, for the next 40 years, would we preach the name of Jesus boldly. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, before you leave, let me let you know about um, just a couple things. One is if you would like to give to our camp fund, you can go on our app or you can actually go to this um, QR code. This QR code is actually in um, a piece we're giving you today, one per family, if you would, but this is a 40th anniversary piece that just celebrates a timeline of our church, has some really exciting things that have happened in the life of our church, but there's also a QR code there where you can just uh, click on that QR code to give to camps. You can also go to our website, ccv.church camps. Also today, as a celebration of our 40th anniversary, we have a gift for you. All of our food items at our grill today are $1, $1, because hey, we wanna celebrate the faithfulness of God. Go out, have some community, have a great week, CCV.